wrangling musicians can kind of be, you know, like corralling ducks or herding cats or whatever right. you want to say. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, musicians and creative people are very independent people. Mm-hmm. And um, and they definitely have their, their kind of their, their circles and their communities. Uh, but the difficulty comes between, like, connecting those communities. How do we connect the hip-hop community and the metal community and the folk community and all these different things? The Portland 50 Podcast is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Additional support for the Portland 50 is provided by Zupan's Markets. Our guest this week is Chris Young, founder and editor-in-chief of Vortex Magazine, which is celebrating its fifth anniversary this week. In this interview, we talk about all sorts of things, including scone sandwiches, which was actually my contribution. Not exactly sure why, but maybe most important, we find out that Chris is a true advocate for the local music scene and serves as a board member for Music Portland. So here he is, Chris Young, editor-in-chief of Vortex Magazine. Uh, where do we start, Chris? This is a, I'm starting now. This is me casually starting an interview, but pointing out that we're starting now. Uh, are we, are we on? We're on. Yeah. It's, it's podcast. So I actually have us talking about your special episode that's coming out later this week. Um, but we'll talk about Vortex magazine here in a minute. I want to talk about you as a person for us, Chris, because you have a pretty, uh, pretty diverse background, um, that I'm, I'm curious to know if you intentionally went into music journalism or if you fell into music journalism or if you even meant to end up in both journalism and music. Definitely fell into it. Yeah. Uh, I did go to journalism school, which I also kind of fell into after, you know, doing a term of business classes or whatever at the University of Oregon. I was like, this isn't for me. Yeah. So I fell into journalism school there, and uh, yeah, at the time when I was in school there, I, I didn't really think that the writing side of it was really for me. I was kind of more interested in design and advertising and that sort of uh, like creative side of things. So I think the, the actual writing about music just ended up being a hobby that I was doing on a blog because I had always loved music. Yeah, kind of a passion and, project. Yeah, it was just kind of like a little bit of an outlet, and then... Um, yeah, I was doing that, uh, you know, semi-frequently and ended up finding a publication that kind of needed the exact skill set that I was already producing on my personal blog. Mm-hmm. So even ended up, I think, like taking a bunch of the content that I had created and like putting it over onto this other website because they were looking to build out content that they, that, you know, they needed. Do you have, you have a graphic design background as well? Yeah, I was kind of, at the time that I went to college at the University of Oregon, there, my, I went to the journalism school, but my degree was, or the classes I took were very mixed. Like I, I took like design and magazine layout classes. I took photojournalism classes. I took a bunch of advertising, like copywriting, you know, as well as like, you know, ad design classes. So it was kind of all over the place as well as, uh, you know, writing and learning like AP style or whatever, you know, and right proper journalistic ethics and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things was the because uh, I remember uh, and I'm older than you but I, re- I remember going into my communications class in university and them talking about the future of newspapers and I remember my communications 101 guy was this old time 
newspaper guy and the way he was talking about newspaper. And this was this would have been late 90s. Um, even then, we could kind of see that news print print was really changing because, you know, you could go to suddenly go to these websites and read the news rather than pick up a newspaper. And I, I just remember having this strong feeling. I don't know how long we're going to have newspapers. And then this thought goes, what about magazines and all this stuff? And the fact that here we are 20 some odd years later, there's actually some really great magazines out there. And, and Vortex magazine is, is one of those. The, do, what was the conversation like when you were in, in, in university about print journalism? Yeah. I think that for me as well, it was an interesting time. I think that everyone, when they're going through these things, they're like, Oh, we're in an interesting time. Maybe yeah. it's a transitional time, you know, for, the, for the media world or for the music industry or whatever, you know, I mean, the, the reality is, is that things are always changing and we have to be able to adapt. But, you know, I think for me specifically with when I was in school, what was interesting is that I definitely had some of the old school teachers that you were kind of talking about that, like, I come from a broadcast background and a, and a, and a traditional writing background, a newspaper background. And then we also had some really like interesting forward thinking professors that were kind of like, you know, it's not really all about thinking about uh, radio versus TV versus print journalism, but it's just like about creating things and mm-hmm. being able to tell stories. Yeah. And so I think that that was, you know, whether you're telling a story in advertising or, you know, journalistically in a magazine or, you know, hard news, you know, in, in a newspaper or something like that. Um, I think that at the end of the day, like the skill set that, that I got out of that was, that you have to be able to, you know, tell good stories accurately uh, and do it across like a bunch of different mediums, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, things that, you know, translate from print to screen to audio, you know, and, and we see how we see how a lot of the most popular stories and movies we see, you know, are usually books, you know, that came before that. Right. And, you know, just like here we are on a podcast and you know how big our podcasts these days when you know no one was talking about podcasts when I was in college as like a form of media or you know transfer of information yeah something that people did yeah I, I, I in fact you know back to the idea of places being in transition for years in radio the thought is like you know what's what's the biggest threat to radio and when uh, satellite radio came in everybody was like oh no this is the beginning of the end and that of course never really happened because I think, A, people didn't want to have to pay for this, the subscription in their vehicle, and they like the localness of radio, but it's podcasting now that we're really seeing where people are shifting over that, incre- like every single month, every single year, more and more people are shifting over to podcasting because we love on demand, and there's so much out there. Like, yeah. are, are, are you big into podcasts? Yeah, I when I can find the time, there right. are, I mean, there are like a few that, you know, I wish I would listen to certain things more, but, you know, I, I'm always wanting to take recommendations for people. There's, I'd say the, pod, the podcasts that I'm most tuned into are actually some local, specifically music podcasts. Yeah. We actually, we started a little segment in the magazine recently where we talk about local podcasts. And mm-hmm. so we've talked about Dan Cable, who's just a great interviewer and he sits down with artists. We've talked about the future of what, which is a music industry podcast so Mm -hmm. it talks all about you know like uh the things behind the scenes and you know how to be a professional musician uh we've got a couple i think four more that we talk about in the new issue that's that's coming out right now yeah it's interesting and i guess the because you probably work out of your own house yeah yeah so for most people i think podcasts has become the way to deal with commutes 
Sure, and exactly. So, yeah, uh, that's typically where I get mine in. You know, of course, when I'm not listening to Kink. <laughs> um, but um, I think the interesting thing about podcasts, which I think also, uh, you know, I can also say about the magazine I create, is that there. The thing is, like, there's so much information and so many options out here right now that what. Uh, a magazine like mine, which talks specifically about the Portland music scene and what many podcasts do a good job of is really honing in on a topic and a subject matter yeah. that, that really matters to people. Um, and so they get these really niche audiences, you know, these really hardcore audiences that really care about things. Uh, and then you have other forms of media, like the newspaper is a great example of something that is intended to, you know, reach a broad general audience often geographically, yeah. you know, to, to share kind of like the news of the day. Um, but for something like, like me, what I do with, with Vortex Music Magazine and a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, they really try, they try to take deep dives into certain subject matters. And like right. there, I think there is, that is something where like you see things like, uh, you know, lots of music magazines, national music magazines don't print anymore, spin or filter or whatever they folded, you know, Rolling Stone has changed over the years, you know, even things like Time and Newsweek, I'm sure, you know, don't have the numbers that they once had, right. but you do see the growth in uh, these niche topics. So, you know, people that are talking about very specific things like uh, a certain kind of like home and garden magazine, you right. know, and, you know, a music magazine and stuff when you can kind of like hone down on that stuff uh i know you had uh larry crane on here not yeah. too long ago yeah and he's got his magazine tape op magazine the yeah. guy's like 25 30 years into publishing this magazine it's a magazine that's for recording engineers for anyone that works kind of like on the the sound capturing side of the mm-hmm. music industry and his magazine is a, is a bible for those people yeah. you know and it and it and it still just feels like he started as a zine photocopying it and right. you know and it and it, i think that people still just feel like oh man like this magazine is chock full of information that is so valuable and so relevant to me and that's where the longevity in in his publication comes from have you looked um was that an inspiration as you um kind of set out to put together vortex magazine was what what larry was doing with that magazine how, how yeah how i mean that the guy is an inspiration in every sense just because he's like the nicest guy in the world mm-hmm. to the fact of some of the the legendary albums that he's recorded over the years from from northwest bands as well as people from outside of town and yeah he's just a wealth of knowledge and uh you know just super on- honest and and affable you know yeah. and yeah he's been he's been great to chat with about you know um I, what what we do is very different but i still think that you know uh there's a lot of lessons that that I can kind of look to him and learn and see, you know, what he's been able to do over the years and how he's been able to grow his magazine and, f- and find an audience and, and serve that audience. You in your uh, bio on, on the Vortex website says that you had an experience at the Oregon state fair as a sixth grader this is that true. kind of changed your life and made you, was that the catalyst of becoming a music fan? Walk us through this. What happened? Who did you see? What took place? So, you know, I see a lot on Twitter these days of people being like, hey, remember that, like, I saw them before they were big moment or this moment or that moment. And so I was actually just literally thinking about this moment uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, that uh, I don't that wasn't necessarily like the moment that made me really get into music. I had a couple childhood friends that I grew up with whose 
dad was just the the biggest music fan in the world. He mm-hmm. had like he always had records hanging on the wall. He had like like the Who and like autograph Pete Townsend poster and like so they were the family that always like had all the music right. because like the dad had a lot of music and he also I think enabled the kids to be have like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Pearl Jam sure. and the Nirvana tapes like we all did the, the tapes. Oh yeah, of course. And uh and so I think that that was my first kind of like insight and the one the one uh there was an older brother in that family as well and so you know it's always like oh the cool older brother oh yeah what the stuff that he's got right you know so i think that was the first thing but uh yeah the first live experience though to understand what uh a concert can be that concert was uh weird al on Mm -hmm. his uh bad hair day tour so it was the record that had like amish paradise on it and so you know i mean talk about a concert experience like he did the michael jackson in the fat suit and you know he did amish paradise and i don't know it was the oregon state fair right sixth, sixth grader that was his bread and butter me and my dad and yeah. a buddy you know it was yeah yeah i was definitely hooked on going to concerts at that point um your your first concert is way cooler than which is that does that will you consider your first concert? That was my experience? first concert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mine was. I, I, it would have to be. It was this country band that my older brothers. Because you're always in, influenced by your older siblings, yeah. and I have a bunch of older brothers, and so whoever was oldest in the house kind of had control of the radio. So mine ended up being a country concert. But it's, it's that same thing. Whether it's country or whether it's uh, a rock concert, live music being played is life changing. If if you're you know if you've there got with that an open thing mind in your brain, you yeah, get, yeah it, it it does change you forever and. Um, I'll still, I remember what I ate the night before I went to my first concert. It was a scone sandwich. I don't, I remember it not being that good, but the, the show was pretty great. Is a scone sandwich kind of like that, uh, like a Vandross, you know, what a Vandross is it's the named after Luther Vandross and it's a, it's a hamburger, like, but instead of a bun, it's two donuts. Two do- oh, it's very similar. <laughs> very similar. This is the, the, like the, the salty scone, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the best equivalents here. Cause I, I grew up in, uh, in Utah and there was this restaurant called the scone cutter and it's, it's fried bread is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, sounds great. A, a donut burger sounds actually pretty good. Um, we had a conversation a few years back, kind of when, um, Vortex was in its infancy, um, I, I had you on the kink morning show. I don't know if you remember this mm-hmm. and you taught, you told me that Portland has the potential and maybe I'm paraphrasing here and you can tell me that's not what I said court. So feel free to do that. But the way it stuck in my mind is I remember you saying something along the lines of Portland has the potential to be the Northwest version of Nashville in that we've got this community of musicians here. We're just not set up the way Nashville is set up where it's more accessible. And you can you kind of see it. Is that is that true? Is am I yeah. paraphrasing that right? No, yeah. I mean that's fairly accurate. And Nashville has an infrastructure. Uh, they have an infrastructure in the sense that the city, the literal government, the people that are running that place, yeah. have gotten behind this message. Right. Like it. It is. It is the identity of Nashville, and it is. Uh, you know, they they hang their hat. Everyone in that city hangs their hat on that identity. Um, you know, Portland has a lot of different identities, you know, uh, a lot of people hang their hat, mm-hmm. you know, on the Blazers or the Timbers or uh, the food scene is, is food big scene, here. beer, yep. wine, bikes. Uh, so, you know, outdoors, like a lot of these things are are things that define Portland. Um, but I do. And, and music is definitely one of those things, too. But I do think that it, it is um, 
you've you've worked in the radio and music business for long enough that you understand that that wrangling musicians can kind of be you know like corralling ducks or herding cats or whatever right. you want to say and, and you know it's kind of like you know musicians and creative people are very independent people mm-hmm. and um and they definitely have their their kind of their their circles and their communities uh but the difficulty comes between like connecting those communities how do we connect the hip-hop community and the metal community and the folk community and all these different things um and so yeah i mean i think Portland, it does have a really special music ecosystem for all the different kinds of music that are being made here, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also some of the business and industry that is underneath that. Um, So yes, in Nashville, you have obviously a very rich tradition of uh, like songwriting and like, you know, that's where all the songwriters are. And in New York and LA, you've got, you know, LA you've got the kind of the Hollywood movie kind of music tradition and the advertising yeah. stuff like that and you know New York I, you know has has it all as well sure uh, and so I mean I think that in Portland we we have a lot of these things definitely not on the same scale as those other places uh, but we also have music manufacturing we have people that make microphones and amps and guitars and cables like literally drums literally everything that you could imagine that a band would need to play mm-hmm. all those products are being manufactured in this city or you know kind of in the the metro regional area um and that's something that's that's not true in other places that's that's not true in austin i can't say definitively that that's not true in nashville but um you know some of the those places their their reputation and their identity is built on you know this this music making and this live music tradition Uh, that, like I said, the city has really got behind and supported. And whereas in Portland, I actually feel like we have more of it than some of these other places. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we just haven't been able to hone in on how we are going to uh, promote that message and, you know, kind of stand behind it collectively as a city. Right. And so I'm actually on the board of a nonprofit called Music Portland that kind of grew out of this idea of, you know, how do we, one, one of the main things is, you know, we realize that the city of Portland is changing just like all cities grow and change and yeah. shift over time. And one of the most important things in that change is being able to look out for, uh, how artists, uh, and how people of color and, you know, other marginalized, po- marginalized populations, uh, continue to live in, can continue to live in the city, um, you know, and, and be a poor, uh, be a, part of you know the culture and the dynamic here and so with music portland like we were really looking out for you know what does this mean for artists and you know how do we have creative spaces and how do we have all ages venues and how do we make sure that we support you know the people that are manufacturing and are throwing shows and are doing all these kinds of things and how do we uh actually quantify and and document what you know some of the data is behind these things because i think you know we are, you know, step by step getting the city of Portland on board with, uh, with saying like, yes, Portland is a music city. Yes. We want to promote our city as being a music city and not just a beer city, mm-hmm. and, you know, not just wine and not just cannabis now, you know? Uh, but yeah, we, we want to, we are a music city and we want to stand behind that message. So with music Portland, we, we do a lot of documentation of, of what the actual music industry is in terms of how many people are here playing in bands? How much time do they spend, you know, playing in bands? How much money do they make from their band? How much, you know, if you, you're manufacturing microphones, how many people do you employ? You know, how much business does your do you do annually? 
because that's the kind of uh, data and facts that we can take to the city and say like, feel very confident. I feel I don't have the data to back this up yet, but I feel very confident in saying uh, that the music industry in Portland and in the state of Oregon has a way bigger uh, economic impact on our on our the money that our state makes yeah. than film, let's say. So, and the difference is, is there's several groups out there that are actually city and state run groups that advocate on behalf of bringing film projects right. the film to Portland. Yeah. You know, to Portland or to the state of Oregon. And that's cool. Like, you know, it's everyone, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or whoever makes a headline when he says that he films a movie in Oregon yeah. and you know, it, it brings a little bit of money into the pockets of, you know, local people that are working on these projects, but they're very short-term projects and they're, they're high dollar, like one-time paychecks. Whereas like the music industry is happening every night in hundreds of clubs. Yeah. And, and these are people that are actually Oregonians living and working here. So that's part of the, the goal of, of music Portland and yeah, and I I would assume that also feeds into kind of the goal or the purpose behind Vortex Magazine, which is a, what I want to talk about now. Celebrating f- its fifth year this week, yeah, uh, with the issue of the twentieth episode or twentieth edition, twentieth edition out on four twenty. Yeah. It was it was maybe like a year ago that a musician pointed out to me. He's like, "Hey, do you realize your your twentieth issue is coming out on four I was like. I, hey. I do see that I now. Think, I think I see a theme. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we had been talking about doing it for a long time about exploring cannabis and music. Yeah, uh, and clearly we all know maybe some of the greatest songs that have ever been written were written by stone musicians. But we didn't want to just just talk about uh, getting high and listening to music. We also talk about. Uh, we do do that. We put together an awesome playlist mm-hmm. where you can very well do that thing. Oh, there we go. It's uh, actually four hours and 20 minutes <laughs> oh, of local music. Perfect. And uh, But yeah, beyond that, we, we talk a lot about uh, how the cannabis industries and musicians are kind of a symbiotic relationship uh, in the sense that musicians are often broke. Musicians don't make a lot of money making music so uh there's been a lot of work opportunities in the cannabis industry for musicians whether that's working on farms or trimming Mm -hmm. uh or playing events uh so they've kind of they've they found a nice match in each other and i actually think that a lot of musicians just through kind of like their networks and connections you know have naturally been connected with people that are now in the legal cannabis industry as well right uh we, we obviously we talk about how musicians use cannabis you know to inspire their music uh but we also talk about how uh we've got an example of this one guy uh, adam who's a bass player and mimicking birds and he he had a brain tumor and and seizures mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about how uh using cannabis and cbd has you know really counteracted some of the negative side effects to medications he was taking um and you know and, and this is also one of these things where we don't have a lot of information about this stuff i guess like in medical journals or anything like that what you know we would consider to be like professional data on this stuff because you know it hasn't been done and it hasn't been studied because of the how marijuana has been categorized as a drug for so long but you know he's like you know i i I can take uh you know these this cbd and just tell you that i feel better and i have less less seizures you know and Mm -hmm. so he's like this is a medicine for me that helps me have a better quality of life so 
explore some of those angles too, uh, as well as, you know, have some fun stuff in there about cool dispensaries around town that, uh, definitely have musical themes to them and, you know, nearby munchies Mm -hmm. and record shopping that you can do after you get stoned. So fun stuff. Yeah. I've I've been impressed over the past five years about how every edition that comes out is kind of taking a different uh, angle at Portland through the lens of, of music. You've done a food episode. We go back to the conversation we just had a moment ago where you're talking about uh, things that are made here, made in Portland. Mm-hmm. That was, was that the uh, fourth yeah, quarter last couple year? A couple ago, yeah, yeah. We did an issue that was all about products that were made in Portland, instruments, yeah. yeah. yeah really interesting stuff. When you set out in 2014, so Vortex Magazine, you're the co-founder with uh, David Mosher. Am I pronouncing mm-hmm. him right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. With David Mosher, um, who owned Art Media. Mm-hmm. How did you two get together and decide to do Vortex? The internet. Okay. Yeah. Did he, you seek him out or did he no, seek? No, he, he sought me out. He So yeah, he had ran anyone that's lived in Portland for a while and especially people that I feel like went to PSU or mm-hmm. uh, are visual artists all know art media. He had a couple stores in the Portland metro area and yeah, it was an art supply store and, and he came from uh, like a visual arts background as well as a music background, but you know, for three, almost four decades, he ran these retail stores and had a family. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he was kind of looking for what his, you know, what his retirement plan was and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, another company Blick, they came to town and they offered to buy his business. So he decided to sell his business yet. He was, uh, still working with Blick uh, but you know, didn't have the responsibility of no, operating, yeah, right. operating a couple retail stores anymore. And so, yeah, he wasn't, wasn't ready to retire. And he had always had this kind of itch for, uh, the music scene, but felt really out of touch with what was happening in the music scene. There was another publication in town, I think like in the nineties and the two thousands, uh, called the rocket, which was kind of a, it was a weekly style publication, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of like the weeklies that we have now. And they had a they had an edition here in Portland, and they had one up in Seattle, and it was a very successful publication. It was just about the music scene, and you know, just about what was happening in town. Uh, but it, it got sold to someone, and that guy I think kind of ran it into ground, and it it was gone like a couple years later. But David's daughter had shot uh, photography for them as well, so you know, he'd kind of been like on the periphery of some of these things over the years, but hadn't really had time to. Uh, engage in it on a deeper level and that was he was like you know I had this idea and I've got some you know some money I could invest in this but you know I I need like the right team to put this together so the very early days it was him and I and another guy named John Chandler who had actually been the editor of the Portland version of the rocket Mm -hmm. Uh, and we just sat around for many months you know we'd get together like every couple weeks at a bar or something and kick around ideas like well you know what should we make should it be every week should it be every month should it be on newspaper what should it be called you know and and yeah vortex is ultimately what came out of that uh when dave and i stuck it out to the end and you know kind of you know fully came up with the concept that what we wanted to do and built a website and all those things that you need to do to be relevant in this day and age the Portland 50 podcast is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. What well, has it become 
what you envisioned it five years ago. I'm assuming there's been some evolution along along the way. Yeah, I will say not too long ago, I looked back at some of the original kind of uh, like mission statements and things that Dave and I had written down and developed. And we spent a long time talking about this idea before we actually did anything, before we put it out there publicly. Like it honestly might have been about two years Mm -hmm. before we put anything out there publicly, you know in between figuring out what we wanted to do and, you know, spending six months making a website or whatever it is. Uh, but I, I actually looked back at some of those, those things that we had written out. And one of the really like core kind of value things that we wrote out in the very beginning that I think is still 100% relevant today was we had this statement that was, we want to make the Portland music scene more successful by making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think is, as hold one held 100% true because at the end of the day, you know, it's like we want vortex to, to be a place where, you know, we, you know, first and foremost, we want to tell stories of the, of the music scene and the music community that's here. But we also want to, bring other things together, you know, like different groups together and different things together in the same place, you know? So, so it's not just, you know, if we write about the folk scene a lot in one issue, like we also want to write about the hip hop scene and the metal scene, right. and, you know, the makers and stuff or, you know, address social topics like our issue, two issues ago, we did me too in PDX music and, mm-hmm. you know, talking about why in the music industry, it's, you know, it's felt like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll gives people a pass to right. to act in certain ways. It's the same idea that people were seeing in the film industry that's yeah. just like, oh, it's just, that's just the way it is. No reason to change it. So. Right. You know, but the film industry and the, you know, Hollywood and entertainment and comedy, I feel like has had a, a bigger more, spotlight more on a reckoning, yes. you know, with individuals seeing, you know, real consequences for some of their actions. And that hasn't been so much in the music industry, but, you know, in between putting out that last issue and right now, uh, you know, we see the spotlight being shined, shined hard again on R. Kelly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a big thing that came out about Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams. Yep. And, you know, so it, it, it at the end of the day, uh, we have to have these conversations, um, you know, because if you don't have these conversations then these things aren't on people's minds and, you know, the people that are kind of being downtrodden, you know, just continue to remain in that role because, you know, no one, if it's not your experience, me too is not my experience. I'm a a white male. I feel like I've had a lot of opportunity in my life that I'm, that I'm privileged to have, have had, you know, but addressing an issue like me too, or we did another issue, you know, that was called like, uh, the life of a black musician in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that's not your experience and you don't take the time to go out there and discover what someone's experiences is like, you know, put yourself in the, their shoes, uh, then I think you have a really hard time, you know, relating to the realities of other people. So right. it's been a, it's been a privilege for me to be able to do this through the lens of the magazine and then you know, write about it and work with writers that have this experience, you know, and, you know, that want to tell more people about it. But I think just even, you know, people that read the issues or, you know, people that listen to podcasts on these issues, anything that you can do to put yourself in people's shoes and really understand, you know, what is the experience like for, you know, all the other people in America, you know, that are from a different background than me, you know, that have a different skin color, different sexual preference, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. 
What do you, uh, um, moving forward again, as we celebrate five years of, of Vortex magazine, what's, what's in the future of, of Vortex? Are there things you're ready to tackle in the next few episodes? Few, keep saying episodes. I'm thinking radio issues. and podcast. <laughs> issues. Issues. We got four issues a year. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I always have, like, I have these documents on my computer that are just lists of things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm just kind of waiting for a list to get to a critical mass of like enough good kind of story ideas or uh, like the right timing, you know, like with the 420 thing. Right. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there are like a couple a couple areas of the Portland music scene that I don't feel like we have explored enough that I would like to do some bigger stories on. One of them being the electronic music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've never really like, delved real deeply down that rabbit hole in terms of maybe even like DJs to like electronic musicians and producers. And there's even a bunch of record labels in town that, you know, that's, is purely like the only kind of music that they do. Yeah. Some that have been around for, you know, 10, 20 years and stuff like that. So some interesting stories and histories there. Um, I would also really like to dive down the rabbit hole of Portland's punk scene. And there, there's quite a, rich history and legacy of punk music in this town Mm -hmm. as well as what's happening now. And I think that, um, both of those scenes kind of tend to be just by nature, uh, a little bit more underground and, you know, there can be a lot of like DIY stuff. Obviously we see that electronic music is quite large, uh, you know, on a national global scale right now, but yeah, there also is, you know, very interesting sides to people that are out there just doing weird innovative stuff you know like building their own instruments and circuit bending and stuff that i don't even understand i'm right i have a great writer in mind who uh who kind of lives in this world you know so yeah exploring some of those facets um but yeah we're all like you know like you kind of said earlier uh like we did a food issue and like we did this cannabis issue i'm always also looking for things that can kind of broaden the net and bring more people uh, into the Portland music scene. Mm-hmm. So I realized that like we talking about just local music is, is a fairly niche topic. I mean, I, it's safe to say that most people, you know, like or enjoy music. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, listen to music fairly passively and, you know, they're not too concerned about, I mean, there's always things on the internet pop up with people like, well, like, oh, I don't even like listen to the lyrics of the songs. Right. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know being in just in terrestrial radio that majority of that's the unfortunate side. Majority of people listen to stuff so passively. So, yeah, I mean, so that's the thing is, and I realized that uh, when we drill down like another level, so it's like we've got passive listeners, you know, listening to music. And then we've got people that are actively engaged in music, uh, but, you know, they're into big music they're into portugal the man and they're yeah. into drake you know it's like you know, like these are the famous bands right. and it's totally understandable so it's like i i i know that those people are interested in music so you know there's a possibility of getting them interested in more local music because they already have a disposition to like and enjoy music and sure. want to go to concerts and stuff like that so it's easy to get someone to do an action that they're already interested in doing so I want to like bring keep bringing them down that that train of thought into the local music scene. But sometimes, you know, like I can't if I take the most famous musicians in Portland, if 
whether that's Portugal the Man or Pink Martini or Storm Large or the Decemberists mm-hmm. or the Danny Warhols, uh, even if I put those guys on the cover of every magazine and that would only be five magazines that I just listed, yeah. not everyone would, would recognize them. You know, it's right. not, it's not like putting like, you know, Jimi Hendrix or Bob Dylan on a magazine. Everyone's like, Oh yeah, clearly we know who that is. Right. Or even like, you know, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I take the tact a lot of the time of, well, it's not just about like singling out the individual, uh, it's more about like how do we draw more eyeballs and uh, more attention into what's happening into the scene. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, sometimes that is about singling out an individual or a band or something like that. But sometimes that is about uh, putting food on the cover of the magazine because guess what? Everyone can look at a picture of a hamburger and be like, "I know what that is, and yeah, that yeah. looks good. I right. want one of those," you know. And so if if, if I can tie in the idea of that. Uh, something recognizable like you know food or drink or cannabis or something to people something that you know has kind of like an experience or a vibe to it i mean like thinking about the cover of our magazine almost more like it's album art you Mm -hmm. know you know versus uh just like a picture of some people right i like to use those tactics to bring people into the music scene you know and to just like expand the ideas like when when we did the food issue it's like we had a whole article in there about pock pock and like I mean, everyone knows about Pock Pock. Pock Pock's like internationally known. Yeah. But people probably didn't know that Andy Ricker, that amazing chef that's mm-hmm. published all these books and hung out with Anthony Bourdain, yeah. he like came from the music scene. Like right. food was like it was the thing he plan. did after, yeah, yeah. you know, after yep. music wasn't working out. Yeah. And there was a lot of stories like that in that issue. And so it's just, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like, Music is a thing like in our culture and our society that buttresses a lot of things and supports a lot of things, but sadly doesn't actually receive like the amount of attention and recognition that it does. You know, I mean, you'd be hard. Like, first of all, you won't walk into any store ever that's not playing music mm-hmm. any, any restaurant right you know yeah any, you know all our retailers have that. And if you around. do, it'll be extremely <laughs> strange. It was like something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right. right you know, Every ad we see on TV, there's music. Like, who's making that music? Yeah. Musicians, you know, and most of the time, like, they're not getting the big paycheck, even though their product is the thing that is, like, actually really, like, creating the scene and the emotion and the vibe, you know? It's it's probably just, like, I don't know too much about the science of this exactly, but I would venture to say that, like, you can't see music, so maybe you don't think about it as much like about how it's affecting you right but if it's not there you can totally feel that like this is devoid of something that something's missing you know i think there's plenty of examples uh, probably on youtube where they take scenes and they take they show you the with and without music and just how much it just changes yeah you know you you watch psycho yeah we say in our mind mind, oh it's a little change that's a pretty big change because it (laughs) changes the, the way you feel about that entire scene so yeah yeah um uh, we could talk for probably another hour. <laughs> um, we should we should point out if people um, want to pick up the magazine. Where do people pick up Vortex magazine? Yeah, so we got our website is vrtxmag.com, which is basically Vortex without the vowels. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't buy any. No, didn't yeah. buy any vowels. Yeah, no vowels. No vowels. So that's a will of fortune <laughs> joke. Uh, that's all our social handles too. You can find us on everything there. But uh, yeah, go there. We've got a map on the website. It says get your copy. It'll show you kind of all of our primary distribution locations. It's 
a lot of the venues around town, the record stores, mm-hmm. Music Millennium, you know, the Doug Fur instrument shops. So we, we got like 150, 200 places where we, we drop magazines off at that are listed on that site where you can go to find them. Plus, it's just all over town and bars and cafes. You can also, we'll mail it to you too if you want to subscribe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's just vrtxmag.com slash subscribe and we'll send one to you each quarter. And other than that, you can come out to events that we have each quarter, like this uh, on 419. So the day before 420, we'll actually have our birthday celebration. Mm -hmm. And that'll be at Artist Repertory Theater. And so we'll have copies of the magazine there a day early. You can pick one up there. Uh, That's actually a really cool partnership that we developed with Artist Repertory Theater. Because, again, they're like a theater theater, plays, theatrical stuff. and uh, But they have these great spaces, these great theaters. uh, And... We're like, okay, let's see if we can throw some like music programming in this place, but also keep it in line with the the fact that this is a theater and, you know, there's a lot of kind of like spoken word storytelling and, you know, acting that happens here. So we started this series called Musical Interlude and we're doing our, our second one in that series uh, for the hip hop genre. And so we'll have three artists who will be playing songs and then telling the stories behind their music. So uh, Oh, nice. A VH1 storytellers, MTV Unplugged kind of mashup. Uh, you know, the 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 bands play stripped down. You know, they they literally talk as much as they uh, perform music. So you know, each band might you know have like three to five songs that they play, and you really again like a lot of times like this is the side of the artist that that you don't see and you don't get to hear about like truly what was my inspiration behind this or you know how did my life experiences shape the the lyrics and you know i mean for me it's it's like i'm not a musician it's mind-boggling how do you just like make up out of thin air these these like these songs and these sounds and and these are things that like live in our heads for the rest of our lives you know like Mm -hmm. there are there are songs that we all can recite word for word and we know the beats and the melodies and all that kind of stuff and this is stuff that people just invented from yeah. scratch, you yeah. know? Some, sometimes even by accident. <laughs> yeah, from by accident. Those are, yeah. those are great stories. Um, we should also point out that every Thursday at 1.30, you hop in on Kink with uh, Jared and showcase- 12.30. 12.30. 12.30, yeah. 30, yeah yes, Thursdays. thank you. I'm, I'm not paying- I'm looking at my clock right now. It's just past 1.30. Um, and you showcase a local artist. Yeah, so every Thursday we come here on Kink, hang out with Jared, and yeah, we- Play a local song, usually a new song, usually someone that's got a show or a release show or something mm-hmm. like that. Again, you know, at the end of the day, the like I said, the impetus behind this magazine that's really held true from day one is to make the Portland music scene more successful by making it more accessible. So, you know, it's like coming on Kink here has been a great relationship because like I'm, I'm able to turn Kink listeners onto new music, local stuff. We've done some shows in the Bloodworks Live Lounge mm-hmm. too. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it's really fun to be able to try to spread that gospel of local music because at the end of the day, uh, we're all so oversaturated with so much stuff. And that's why people look to radio DJs, you know, to help introduce them to new music, you know, because there's, that's what we do. We sit here for like a living and, and sift through all the stuff that comes our way. And, you know, for kink, you guys happen to filter that stuff through, a certain lens and kind of like, you know, a genre lens that, you know, that your audience is interested in. It's often, it's often, or it's always different than what the hip hop station or the country station is doing. 
And so for us with Vortex, we're always filtering that stuff through the local lens. You know, how do we get more people to engage with local music and watch the music video, stream the stuff, go to the live shows, buy merch, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's how we continue to support local musicians and, you know, make sure that we have those kind of creative talents here in our city. And someday, you know, every once in a while, we get people that really break through and, you know, get to the Portugal demand and the Decemberists and like the Dandy Warhols level. And like, that's an incredible thing because even all three of those bands that I just named, like, they still live here. Like they're right here in town. Like these people are always doing things for causes and yeah. care and caring about what's happening in their local music community. And, you know, it's like, like Portugal, the man will like retweet or tweet sometime. And I'm like, this is amazing. You know, like right. this band that's got this kind of mouthpiece and this many people they, looking at it. They had the it. song of the summer. Yeah. Like two summers ago, you know, and, and, like, and they're still here and people in the dandies, like they do that stuff too. They support yeah. music millennium and, you know, they support the local institutions and, you know, pink martinis always doing that stuff too. And right. so like, it's really important that, that you support the, you know, most musicians are not ever going to get to that level, you know, but some will, you know, and when they do get to that level, they understand what they went through to get to that level. And they're looking to give back to the community and to local schools yeah. and to encourage people, you know, to, to make music and, you know, to continue that on because, you know, we, you know, we want we want the next Portugal demand to be from Portland too. Like we want right. to have that that those points of pride and you know and and we we want the good music. You yeah. Know? Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Have you back for the sixth anniversary? Maybe the seventh. Maybe the tenth. Right. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening today. And in case you've missed any previous podcast, be sure to check out Kink.fm or download an episode wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to like and subscribe. The Portland 50 is a podcast about the people who dream, build, and champion the uniqueness of Portland, creating a better community for generations to come. It's presented weekly by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.